You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. And then I'll explain from... Go down, sit in the dust, virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, daughter of the Babylonians. No more will you be called tender or delicate. Take millstones and grind flour, take off your veil, lift up your skirts, bare your legs and wade through the streams. Your nakedness will be exposed and your shame uncovered. I will take vengeance, I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence, go into darkness, daughter of the Babylonians. No more will you be called Queen of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people and desecrated my inheritance. I gave them into your hand and you showed them no mercy. Even on the aged, you laid a very heavy yoke. You said, I will continue forever, the eternal queen. But you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. Now then listen, you wanton creature lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day. Loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge misled you when you say to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. Disaster will come upon you and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. Keep on then with your magic spells and with your many sorceries which you have labored at since childhood. Perhaps you will succeed. Perhaps you will cause terror. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame. Here are no coals to warm anyone. Here is no fire to sit by. That is all they can do for you. These you have labored with and trafficked with since childhood. Each of them goes on in his error. There is not one that can save you. Okay, this is. It's a dirge, all right? Um, Graham, I'm getting a wee bit of feedback just on... This, this is a dirge. It's, it talks about loss of children and widowhood. It's a lament. It's a funeral song. And, and I'll be honest, when I looked at this, I thought, okay, I'm not doing this on, for the baptism. No way am I doing this. And I was looking for other things, and because Aaron is called Aaron and his name's not in the Bible, if he'd been Simon or something, I maybe could have gone and got, but Aaron, I was thinking, what does Aaron mean? I was looking at everything, and I kept coming back to this passage. And then when I looked at the passage and studied it, I realized this is actually, believe it or not, perfect for a baptism. And I'll tell you why. Because it's a song about how we bring up children in one way. It's a song, it's a poem about how we live our lives. And I, our children, we we love the children in the church here. Our children are incredibly precious to us. And I say our children because it's not just the parents, but it's also 
uh, single people. It's also the older people. It's those who, in varied commas, don't have any children. If you're part of the fellowship here, you do have children. And they're our children. And Aaron is a very precious and special child, along with Oliver as well. But here's the problem with children. You're bringing them up in an environment which, when you look at it, there's so many dangers. Sometimes people get so far as to say, how can I bring up a child in this world? And if you're the kind of person who worries, you are going to worry about so many things. You're going to worry about traffic. You're going to worry about food. You're going to worry about sleep or lack of sleep. You're going to worry about illness. You're going to worry about education. What about the schools? What about all these different things that are going on? And the Bible recognizes that we live in a world which is broken and that we are bringing up our children in what could be termed a war zone. So, what does it have to say to us? Well, I'm going to look at two things from this passage and uh, next week we'll go on to Isaiah 48, which... um, if Isaiah, this is a really a two-part poem. Isaiah 47 is the lament, and Isaiah 48 is an address to, to Israel. I'm going to incorporate a bit of that in this morning as well. First of all, I want to think about bringing up a child in a godless home. Some of you were brought up in that way. Some of you, actually, that may be what you, you've come in here, and this is where you're coming from. You, you don't really have that much religious background, you're curious. For whatever reason, you've come in here and you're thinking, what's all this about? And you've got images of religious people, you know, from the ones who fly planes into buildings to the ones who are sanctimonious hypocrites. And you think, what has this got to do with modern life? But you're here and you're curious and I want to explain what it is. And some of us have been Christians for a long time But sometimes we get battered and bruised and we need to be reminded of these two things. What happens when Babylon burns and what happens when God's people learn? So first of all, bringing up a child in a godless home. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Couple say, I want my children to have nice house, good school, work really hard to get into a nice area, we'll move house, we'll do all that for them. I want them to have food and clothing, but I want them to have more than that. I want them to have nice toys. You watch the, the video of the children in Romania and Ukraine and so on, and there's something wrong with you if you're not moved by that. You know, we're, we're in a situation often at Christmas where a child can get a PlayStation because it's the wrong kind of PlayStation. They're upset. And here are kids getting a shoebox with toothpaste in it and a, t- a plastic toy that you wouldn't get out of Woolies when it existed. And you're, you're kind of, they're so delighted. And you kind of understand, I think you understand why. So we want to provide for our families. We want them to have, we want our, our children to have the best that they possibly can. Good if they've got cars and, 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 and so on. What is wrong with that picture? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with the picture. It's what you've left out of that. And even Christian parents can do this. Christian parents can kind of forget that their primary responsibility is to bring up their children in, as we'll see with the baptism, in the the love and 
awe of God. And sometimes you'll get Christian parents, and actually church and stuff is an incidental. They'll go to one if they've got the time, or they'll just choose the one nearest to them, and so on. And they like the idea of being Christian. Yes, they know that that's important, but all of their time and effort is spent on other things for their children. Well, the picture in Isaiah 47 is of a nation, a city-state, Babylon, which was doing well, it was well off, it was famous, it was victorious, it was cultural, and so on. And yet, what we read is a lament for it where there's dust and toil, nakedness and shame, silence and darkness. And Babylon is really a picture of humanity without God. And I see four things here. There are others, but we'll just take the time to do these four. First of all, power and arrogance. You daughter of the Babylonians, you, you consider yourself to be the queen of kingdoms. She believed that she would remain forever. There was a false sense of security. There was great wealth. They were shielded from all the troubles of life. I've got my child, and here's my child, and they're up in their wee room, and they've got their cot, and they've got the, all the lovely decorations around, and I'm going to look after and protect my child, and it's going to be like this forever. And we think we can ensure, and we, th- we think that we can guarantee. Tender and delicate. Tender and delicate. No more will you be called tender or delicate, verse 1. Rightly, we want our children to be protected. But wrongly, in our arrogance, we think that we can do it. We think that we have the power. And the trouble is that that leads to what I would call, or what's shown here, self-indulgence and cruelty. Look at verse 8. Now then, listen, you wanton creature, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. The Babylonians were incredibly cruel. They had great wealth, but they did not show compassion. There's a, a, a phrase here, respect the ages. They didn't respect the aged, the weak and the vulnerable. Without making too strong a political point, but it is a political point. It is incredible that we live in a society where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, and as the rich get richer, very often, despite all the language, there is a despising of the poor. Look at all these welfare scroungers. Look at all these. There's a despising. When you've got plenty and you're sitting in comfort, it's very easy for you to look at somebody else and go, I just wish they'd pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I did. But you may not know their circumstances. Doubtless there are people who scrounge who are poor. And doubtless there are people who scrounge who are rich as well. Sometimes with wealth and security comes a tremendous, I don't know, just inward lookingness. We don't like that we... People talk about something called compassion fatigue. Can't show you videos like that all the time. Can't show you videos of starving children or whatever because some people are affected by it, but after a while, you just get tired of it because you're used to it. But for a Christian, we don't have that option because we have to see things the way that God sees things. 
Those in position of power will often misuse that power. Babylon itself was cruel to the captives of the nations that they conquered. But it goes even more than that. Verse 10. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge misled you when you say to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. Babylon was accountable only to themselves. They're basically saying, who needs God? Verse 8, I am. Verse 10, I am. Those of you who know your Bibles will know that the Hebrew name for God is I am. And what's happening here is that the wealthy, if you like, and the secure are saying, who needs God? I don't need God. I mean, the reason that they don't sit at their dining room table and give thanks to God is because they think that their own hands have got them their food. The reason that they never bother, they're not going to darken the door of a church, is because they don't need. Why do I need God? I just get what I want myself. And they take to themselves the name of God. I am. It's a self-deification. It's a world without moral accountability. It's the ultimate selfishness which leads with you not only being God to yourself, but playing God with the lives of others. You choose to live a life without God. You are then choosing to live a life where you make yourself God, where you are the person who is accountable and responsible. And of course it's true that we have an accountability and a responsibility Robbie and Jill have a responsibility in bringing up Oliver and Aaron. Of course that's true. We don't encourage parents to neglect their children. But I'll tell you this. The hardest thing as a parent is to grasp and understand that you can't. You can't. It's just that, that child is so precious and so special. And you don't have the power or the ability to bring them up on your own. To bring them up as though you were God. When children are very, very small, they do tend to think of their parents with a kind of godlike quality, don't they? Um, you can, uh, they, they grow out of that by the time they're teenagers. It kind of reverses at that stage. Then the teenagers are God and the parents are just, you know, uh, dumb and backward and so on. But um, when they're very, very small, it's like you can do anything, say anything. Um, I remember my, my favorite was a group of the children here a while ago. They were just sitting talking to one another and saying, can we go up to the balcony? No, no, can't go up to the balcony. Why not? That's where God is. That's David's place. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm not God, you know, but that's, that's where God lives up in the balcony. And, and, you know, there's a sense in which sometimes, of course, children are going to do, going to do that. But it's made ten times worse when parents bring their children up, not in the knowledge of God or the fear of God or the love of God, but in absolute ignorance of God. Verses 12 to 14, they invented their own religion. And that religion, the magic spells, the sorceries, and so on, it was a form of astrology which still is with us today because this is where horoscopes came from. The first horoscopes originally came out of Babylon. But horoscopes are great at one level if you want to be your own God. Why? Because they basically 
kind of put you in charge of your own destiny. They say the stars are, but it's kind of you. It's a moralistic thing to you. And actually, you don't have any moral accountability. They invent their own religion. Now, people will say, well, isn't that what everyone does? Isn't just every religion just a human invention? And the answer is no, it's not. It's not. God has revealed himself to us. That's the point. Human religions end up being useless and corrupting. And that's, of course, why there's so many people who are atheists or secularists who say, well, that's true of every religion. Actually, no, it's not. It's not. It's actually an illusion. If you think you can bring your children up in your own wealth and your own security and your own godlikeness and your own religions, that you can look after your family and protect your family and provide for your family, you are living in a world of illusion. That is not the case. And that's why this song is a lament, because it goes on to talk about Babylon living under the judgment of God, because rebellion against God never works. So in verse 1, Babylon will fall and be violated. You will sit in the dust. It's sudden. It's in a single day. The pampered city will become a slave. Verses 1 to 3, it talks about grinding corn. You will grind corn. And in that culture, that was the lowest task of the slave girl. Verse 8, the mother will be widowed and bereaved. You think you've got everything. But it can go like that. And verses 12 to 15, the witch will find that her spells don't work and can't save her. False religion never works in times of trouble. False religion always works in times of prosperity because you're doing well and you say, my God gave me this. But it never works in times of trouble. In fact, false religion makes it worse. You'll see when he says, you are wearied. Verse 13, all the counsel you have received has only worn you out. I think sometimes when you're a parent, isn't it the case that that you get so much advice about do this and don't do this and do this and don't do that, and you could read numerous books on bringing up children, so much so that you'd spend all your time in the library and never any time with your children, which the books would say is a bad idea, but you're too busy reading the books to, to, to grasp it. But we can, you can get just wearied with so much advice. Well, I think the Bible gives us very straightforward and very simple advice. I'm not saying that you know, getting advice is wrong. It's, it's really wonderful to know how to be able to do things. In fact, building up a child is a little, uh, bringing up a child is a little bit like the knit and natter. Because I'm, I'm sure if you wanted to, if you wanted to get into knitting, you know, I'll show you my deep knowledge of this subject, knit one, pearl one. Um, if you wanted to, to do that, I'm sure you could go on YouTube and get a wee manual and teach yourself. But I'll tell you this, isn't it much better if you're sitting with a group of people who are all at different stages and they can show you and, and, and you can learn from one another and you can have um, fellowship and fun together? Isn't that kind of like the same in terms of bringing up a child? The concept of the nuclear family is not a biblical one. The nuclear family is mom, dad, 2.4 kids, cat, dog, and just keep completely isolated. But what about grandparents and other relatives? And what about friends? And what about your church family? And what about the way that as a community, as as a church, we're able to help one another? 
remember the talk that Sinclair gave on this subject in which he said that um, our purpose, that it takes a, citing someone, it takes a church to bring up a child. All of us to be involved. The false religions just weary you. The religion of Jesus Christ refreshes. So let me just say something about the opposite of all of this. Bringing up a child in a godly home. In chapter 47, in verse 4, it says this, Our Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. First of all, there's a recognition of God. Instead of the I am's of verse 8 and verse 10, where the father or the mother or the people within the home go, We're it. This is us. This is all there is. Just us. You get Isaiah 45, verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. So the first thing is that for a child to grow up in a godly home, it's just a phenomenal blessing and benefit. And it doesn't matter if there's a castle across in New Tile that's for sale. If you're able to buy that castle for yourself and your family, wonderful. But if you're living in a one-bedroom flat, what's more important is that your child is being brought up in the knowledge of God. Now, interestingly, that's not indoctrination. That's not sitting down and saying, here's a thing, list of things you've got to believe. That's in a home where God is through everything, where it's a normal part of life. Our Redeemer... That's what verse 4 says. We do need redeemed. Verse 4 tells us that God overthrew Babylon for Israel's sake because Israel was his holy people. And redeemer is one of these wonderful words in the Old Testament that we don't understand really, even though we use words like redemption. But you can understand it this way in terms of family. The redeemer is the next of kin who comes alongside and carries the needs of the family, pays for what they owe. And in this instance, in terms of, we're talking about God, pays for our sin. In some baptisms, you might have godparents. It's not necessary. If people want to do it, there's nothing wrong with it. As long as you remember this, the godparent is God. He is our kinsman Redeemer. When uh, Aaron is baptized, I'm going to read something from a French blessing. I'll read it in English. Um, But I'm going to read uh, the French blessing we always do at baptisms. And it's really important that Christian parents realize and grasp what that baptism is saying. It's saying that Christ has their child that Christ is responsible for their child. It's an awful burden that some people take upon themselves when they say, well, until my child grows up and believes it's my responsibility, then he or she is God's responsibility. No, we're coming to God and we're saying, Lord, we are helpless. We need your help. And the Lord says, yes, I am your redeemer. I am the holy one. What does it mean to bring children up in holiness? 
Does it mean you bring them all along to church and you've got you know, a whole bunch of kids and they're in a nice wee row and they're all, all the wee boys are dressed in suits and all the girls have hats on and they're just absolutely perfect children? No, not at all. Holiness means this. 1 Corinthians 7.14 talks about a believer living with an unbeliever and it says this. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Sanctified just means made holy. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. When I baptize Aaron, I'm baptizing him as holy. Now, it's not saying he's a Christian, he's been born again by the Holy Spirit. We don't know that. John the Baptist and Jeremiah, the Spirit worked in their lives from the womb. We don't know. Very often, the testimony of many children who grow up in a Christian home is, I don't know when I became a Christian. I've often believed in Jesus or always believed in Jesus. God could have worked in their life from the very womb. It might be later. Baptism is not saying, okay, we're making this child a uh, a Christian. It's why we don't call it christening. We're not making them a Christian. But what we are recognizing is that the, the child is holy. And holy means set apart for God. And here where the difference is, sometimes children, Christian parents bring up their children in the idea that, well, they'll have to come to God. Whereas the reality is because they're brought into a Christian home and they're brought up in the fear and knowledge of the Lord, they actually have to go away from God. And some people do. Some of you here may have been baptized many years ago. You may have been brought up in a Christian home and you've gone away. You've broken the terms of the covenant and you need to return. But the point is, that our God is a holy God and our children are born into a world which is not holy and we are saying, Lord, sanctify them. Lord, keep them. Lord, work in their lives from the very beginning. And that's why for me, every child in this congregation is not someone who's potential for the future, but they're part of the church now. He's the God who speaks to bring up your children in the love and fear of the Lord is that you teach your children his word, not Babylon's authority. Babylon is going to have to be silent at some point. Verses eight and nine, when we, the, the, the pride and so on we saw there. In a Christian home, that is very different. None of you in a Christian home should be need to be guilted into helping the poor. That's a ridiculous way to behave. You've got to look and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you look at ways that you can help. And and that's so much part of your children's lives as well. I've noticed this, that children who are brought up in a Christian home where Christianity is really practiced, do you know this? You never have to teach them to be hospitable. You often, sometimes you have to teach them to do the dishes, but you teach them young and they've got it by then. You can tell when they're brought up in a godly home. You can tell, you can see by the way they behave, by their attitudes towards other people. The very opposite of the Babylonian indifference, love of self and love of luxury. So, two ways. Two ways to live. Two ways to bring up your children. The way of independence. I am God. I can do what I want. I'll look after my own family. And the way of dependence, which ironically makes you free, where you say, I rely entirely on the Lord.
And I want to summarize this with kind of two phrases. One is in verse uh, 15, where it says, each of them goes on in his error. John L. Mackay says this about this. Babylon made two fundamental and fatal errors. She did not accept there would be a day of reckoning, and she was blind to the existence of Yahweh, who, is alo- who alone is God, and who will carry out that final reckoning. The government, Scottish government, has a name person scheme. Some people are really against it, some are for it. And Chris, I know I've heard Christians on both sides. One aspect of it that I would say would be absolutely wrong is if the government is saying, actually, this is our child and you answer for how you bring up that child to us. That is not true. As a parent, you have a far more solemn judgment day coming. You will answer to God as to how you bring up your child. You will answer to God Because Jesus said, anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble and fall, to sin, you'll answer to God. And some of us are parents and we have to confess our sin and say, we've we've got it wrong. And thankfully, the Lord is merciful. But we answer to God, not to the government. But here is the the going on in error. Here's where things are wrong. And again, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I I want to say this to you. And I'm I'm saying it to you, I hope, not in a, in a, a hard way. Why, why would you go on in your error? Have you ever seen that movie, um, The Towering Inferno? Ah, it's just, I mean, it's a great film. And you, the, basically, the towers on, on, I mean, it's so old. That if this is a plot spoiler, I'm sorry. Um, you should have seen it by now. Um, but it's, the, you know, multi-block, it's on, it's on fire, and the fire starts somewhere near the, the basement, and it's working its way up. And in the very top floor for the opening of the building are the really posh people, the luxurious people, drinking their champagne, having a great time. Hardly able to believe when they're told that this is actually what is happening. I think so many people are like being in the towering inferno, living in luxury, enjoying life, having a great time, but not realizing that the whole thing's gonna collapse and come down. Why would you stay in Babylon? Or another way of putting it is, at the Second World War, the French thought that they were safe because they'd built the Maginot Line. And it was impregnable. Who could get through it? The Germans just went round it. That was the first thing. I mean, it it was just extraordinarily stupid. But so many of us are like that. We think we're safe but we've built our lives on a sand foundation. You said, I will continue forever, the eternal queen, but you did not consider these things or reflect on what might happen. Listen to me. The life that you are using, that you have, that if you're a parent, that you're saying, I'm going to protect my child, one blow and it can be gone. And your child could be left fatherless or motherless. One blow and it could be gone. And you can't stop it. You can't. All of them go on in their error. It is a fundamental error to try and live your life without God. And then look at verse 11. It says this. I am, and there's some beside me, sorry. Disaster will come upon you, and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. 
You see the Babylonians, maybe one of the princes would be captured and they would just go and say, we'll pay the hostage money. That's no problem. We've got enough. We'll ransom our son or our daughter. A disaster will come upon you that you cannot ransom. Because let me tell you this, your child is so precious. The children in this church are so precious that nothing that you or I have or could give would be sufficient to pay for them, to pay for their life, to atone for their sin. But there is somebody who can pay. Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to say to Aaron, and his parents will teach him this as he grows up, little child, Jesus was given for you. Those children get shoeboxes as presents. We give our children Christ because Christ has given himself for them. Acts 2, 38 Peter replied, repent and be baptized on the day of Pentecost. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. There are a lot of things I do not know. And there are a lot of things that you do not know. We don't know the future. We don't know. (laughs) We don't even understand ourselves. We don't know one another. We don't know what's going to happen. But one thing we can be absolutely certain and sure of, that in this world we are faced with a very simple choice. We are going to serve God or we are going to serve the devil through through serving ourselves. If we serve God, then there are all the blessings of his covenant that come with that. If we turn our backs on him, though we may have peace and security like Babylon for a while, in a day, in an instance, they can be gone. And there is nothing solid and sure that is left. It is an incredible privilege for us, as I said, to have so many children in this congregation. It is an incredible privilege for these children to be brought up in a godly home. And I encourage each of the parents in that. It is incredibly heartbreaking that 30,000 of the 35,000 under 14-year-olds in Dundee are growing up without any mention of the Lord at all. We have to reach out. The Aspire Project's not about St. Peter's and our glory. It's not about giving some people want to be do-gooders and an opportunity to do something. It's simply about this. There are children who are growing up in darkness and we want to bring them light. There are children who are growing up in Babylon, if you like, and we want to bring them the glorious light of Jesus Christ. May God grant that we would be able to do so. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises of your covenant. Thank you that you are our redeemer, the God of Israel, the God of his people. And thank you that although none of us can pay a ransom for ourselves or our children, yet the ransom has been paid. And we pray our God that each of us would accept and know that within ourselves. For we ask it in your name. Amen.